Please stand for the reading of God's word. Today, I'll be roaming, reading from Romans 12, <laughs> verses 1 through 8, and that's on page 947 on the Black Bibles around the room. When I am finished, I will say, this is the word of the Lord, and in response, you'll say, thanks be to God, which is just an expression of thanksgiving to God for revealing himself um, through the Bible. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together, church. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all the mercies that you've bestowed upon us. Help us, Lord, to daily present our whole selves to you as a living sacrifice. Transform us, Lord, by renewing our minds by your spirit. Help us to seek your will in our everyday lives. We ask, Lord, that your spirit be with Pastor Kyle as he speaks, that only your truth would be proclaimed, Lord, that our hearts and minds be open to it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Donica. Good morning, everybody. Happy sunshine out there today, huh? Uh, my name's Kyle, and I'm one of the pastors. If you're a guest here, welcome to Living Stones. You know, I know it takes a lot of courage to walk into a church, and that can be really weird sometimes, especially if you're not familiar with church. You come in, you have to sit really close to these people you don't know, and then all of a sudden they're singing songs, and you're like, this is weird. I don't typically stand with a group of people and sing songs. What you need to know is we're here for one purpose, and that's for God. We're here for Him. The reason that we get up on the, in the morning, the reason that volunteers serve is because we want to honor him and we want to know him and commune with him. And that's why we're singing songs to him. Singing songs is a way that you drill in truth into your heart. And it's also a way that you can pray to God. Uh, sometimes you don't know what to pray and you can kind of sing a song to God as an act of prayer. And so that's what that's all about. And we're going through the book of Romans today. And we're just continuing where we left off. We stopped right before Easter at the end of chapter 11, and today we're going to be in chapter 12. So if you have a Bible, open it up to Romans chapter 12. If you didn't bring one, you can grab one of the Bibles set around the room, and that's on page 
947, which you're also welcome to take that Bible home if you want as a gift. Now, um, as Matt said, for 11 chapters, the Apostle Paul hasn't given us anything to do. He's only talked about what God has done. And did you know that is the major emphasis of the entire Bible? The major emphasis of the entire Bible, the foundation of the entire Bible is not giving you a roadmap to life. Rather, it's telling you what God has done. And then it gives us some things to do in response to what God has done. And so for 11 chapters going through this whole book, we've been looking at, wow, God is awesome. And then we're asking the question, well, what does that mean for me? What does that mean for me in my everyday life when I get up and go to work and come home? You know, if you have children and you change diapers and then you go to sleep and you wake up in the middle of the night two hours later and you yell at your kids and you go a bit of bed and you wake up again, you know, what does it mean for us in our everyday life? What does it mean for you if you're, you've retired from work and you seem to have a lot more time on your hands and you're looking, you know, you want to finish the end of your life well. You've raised your kids. You have grandchildren. What does, what does God's work in your life mean for you? That's what chapters 12 through 16 of Romans is all about. How do we worship God in our ordinary life? And so we're calling this ordinary Christianity because it's, it's actually kind of like us planting the flag and fighting against our culture because our culture is like, you need to be extraordinary. You need to be a world changer. You need to be catalytic. And God's like, no. Just be an ordinary, faithful person, and that's extraordinary. See me in all the ordinary things in life, and that's what makes life special. And that's what this is about. And so we have, you know, our art for this is just very simple. Out, out there, I, I loved, I walked in and around the cross, there was uh, different things that just represent ordinary life. There was a rubber ducky, you know, because every time I take a bath, I have a rubber ducky, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> There's a rubber ducky up there, just symbolizing like parenthood. And, and, and then there's a drill, you know, we, we work with our hands. It just represents this fact that everything we do in life is offered to God as worship. And that's what it means to be a Christian. So if you're not a Christian and you're visiting and you're investigating Christianity, this series is great for you to be here because you're gonna see what it means to be a Christian. And I'm gonna sum it up for you right now in one phrase. Being a Christian means this. It's when you say to God, all I am and all I do belongs to you. Amen. And that's what this little section is about. It's saying to God, all I am and all I do belongs to you. And so we're going to look at that aspect of worship in three ways. We're going to look at the life of worship, the mind of worship, and the body of worship. All I am, all I do belongs to you. So first of all, the life. Paul is driving home very clear that all of life is worship. Every millisecond of your life, whether you're awake or sleeping, as a Christian is to be offered to God as worship. All of life is worship. He says in verse 1, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. All of life is worship. And he says, I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God. He, he's, saying, what he's, he's saying, what I'm about to say is based on everything I've already said. 
Like it's based on all the mercies of God I've already told you about. Paul is not like a parent who's just about to tell his kids to do something and they say, why? And he says, just because I said so. (laughs) Paul is saying, here's why you do these things. It's the mercies of God. Now, what is the mercies of God? It's summed up for us really in chapter three. When Paul says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Like every single one of us, it doesn't matter how religious and good you think you are or how far you know you've gone astray. We've all fallen short and failed. And because of that, we've been disconnected from God. But the good news of the gospel is that God hasn't abandoned us. He wasn't like, you know, the way that we deal with people when they fail us. We just kind of cut them out of our life. God hasn't done that. Instead, he sent Jesus, his son, who came and took on flesh, and he paid the penalty on our behalf so that we could be reconciled to God. So that you can have real, lasting, meaningful relationship with the creator of the universe. That's the mercy of God. And then he goes on to say, and this is not because you're good in any way, shape, or form. It's simply because God is merciful. God knew everything about you and chose to love you anyways because he wanted to, and that's it. Isn't that wonderful? It means it really puts us all on the same playing field here. Nobody comes in here better than anybody else because we're all sinners. But we get to come in here and be called sons and daughters of the living God. That's the mercies of him. And some of you have been thinking that God is a God who doesn't want you, but you can't look at the cross and say that. Because when you look at the cross, you see God saying, I'd rather go to hell than live without you. I want you that bad. That is the mercies of God. So based on that, here's how we live. Now you live your whole life as as an offering to God. Your whole life is worship. He says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. As a living sacrifice. This is weird and it's an oxymoron. It's weird because we're like, human sacrifice? That's weird. Here's what he's talking about. In the Old Testament, the way that you would worship God is you would go to the temple And if you wanted to honor God, you would take one of your best animals, like a lamb, and it would be without spot or blemish. You'd have to make sure that it wasn't a sickly animal. You can't like say, okay, God, I'm going to make a sacrifice to you. I'll give you the one with the broken leg that I don't want. You would take one of your best animals and you would slaughter it and you would give it to God as a burnt offering. And you'd say, God, this belongs to you. I know I messed up. This is a sacrifice that I'm giving to you to honor you. Um, And that's what it's talking about. So he's saying, now consider your whole life as that. Consider your whole life as something that you live every single day where you're saying, I'm living every second of my life to give to God as an offering. Now, it's kind of an oxymoron, isn't it? Because you're like, the lamb dies, but this is a living sacrifice. Those two words don't go together. But what he is talking about is something that Jesus said. If you're going to follow me, you must lay down your life daily and follow me. That the secret to living is actually dying. That the way to, it's not physical dying, it's not a literal dying, it's, it's, it's a metaphorical dying. It's God saying to us, if you want to really honor me, you have to be willing to every day of your life say, I'm going to lay down my preferences for the sake of yours. 
And that's what worship is. The word worship comes from two words, worth and Skype. It means to ascribe ultimate worth to something. And when you ascribe ultimate worth to God, you're saying, God, even if I don't like it, what you value is more important than what I value. So I'm laying down my life for you. So it's a living sacrifice. And I think it's interesting that he says bodies here. Present your bodies. Because in Greek culture, which was what the Romans were in, and also in our culture, we have this tendency to think that worship is just something intellectual or spiritual or emotional, right? Like we think I'm worshiping God when I'm having this emotional connection with him. And he says, no, present your bodies. We are embodied souls. Everything you do in your body is an act of worship. Because at the end of the day, here it is. At the end of the day, everything you do is ascribing ultimate worth to something. Either yourself, someone else, something else, or to God. And so to present your bodies as a living sacrifice is to say, I'm presenting all that I am in bodily form and emotionally and spiritually and intellectually to God as a living sacrifice. It's all worship. So... Um, uh, Eugene Peterson says it like this in, in the message. He paraphrases these verses. He says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, your going to work, and your walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Doesn't that make it simple? Like when I became a Christian, I thought like, I did just like do, I, you know, do all these really spiritual things to worship God. Paul's saying No. Just take your everyday life, your eating, your sleeping, your waking up, and present it to God as an offering. So let me ask you a question. When you think of worship, what comes to your mind? I'm sure it's going to church, praying, reading your Bible, singing songs. But what this, these verses are saying is it's more than that. It's also going to the grocery store because that's providing for your family. It's also going to work because you're contributing to cultivating the world that God has made. And you're like, I'm just a plumber. Yeah, but can you imagine this world without plumbing? <laughs> like, you give people water, you help take our excrement out into the sewer, praise the Lord. Like, it's an act of worship because you're cultivating the world that God has given us for his glory. You're like, I'm a salesman for phones. I get, you know, I'm at Verizon. Well, yeah, you're helping people to be able to have tools that they can use for their work and in their families so they can communicate to each other. Everything we do, whether you're a teacher or a, a salesman or, or everything, it it's all goes to worship. Um, even watching TV, we talked about this in my group last, that can be worship. Why? Because imagine a world without entertainment. Don't we have such a good God that he's given us some entertainment? And he's given us imaginations to, to enjoy things that, that are entertaining. That's all worship. And so this is both a terrifying concept and a beautiful concept. It's terrifying because this is what it means. When you walk out these doors, worship isn't ending. God cares about what you do, how you look at people, how you talk to people, how you drive on the road, the attitude by which you go grocery shopping. <laughs> He cares about it all. He cares about how you go to work, how you handle your finances. Nothing is off limits. 
because it's all his world. And if we're in his world, then we're in the temple of God all the time, which means we better be walking holy and acceptable to God. See, it's terrifying, but it's also beautiful because I think the number one thing that postmoderns, which is all of us, are looking for is significance. And this shows us that every moment of our lives matters. Every moment of your life is eternal with this kind of perspective. And nobody else can say that. Because every other worldview and religion says you're only doing eternal things when you're doing something specifically around some sort of emotional worship. But Christianity says it's all worship, therefore everything matters. Your life really does matter. It really does. So that's why we say, all I am and all I do, God belongs to you. So that's the life. The mind of worship is this, is that it starts in the mind. Worship is actually formed in the deepest parts of our mind. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So he, he contrasts these two words. He says there's this first word, conformed, and the second word, transformed. And here's what those two words mean. Conformed means to shape you from the outside. Transformed means to change you from the inside. And he says, Paul knows that we're living in this world and it's not neutral territory. Everywhere in this world is seeking to shape you, to conform you. Um, it's like, you know, when you go to a little kid's birthday party and there's a clown and they, do they have clowns at birthday parties anymore? I'm not sure, they're freaky. And they take balloons, you know what I'm talking about with it, and the person twists the balloon up into a shape. That's what the world, that's what our culture is constantly trying to do to us. God made us to be in his image, to represent his likeness, and the world is seeking to shape us into something else. It's seeking to shape us into a different shape. Um, I was talking with my friend uh, Craig, he's a pastor at the Reno Church, and he said, when I was living in Guatemala, in the villages of Guatemala, I was like, I didn't really care about my clothes, he said. I didn't really care that I tattered clothes or this, but he's like, I noticed that once I started going every week into the mall, I started to feel insecure about myself. Because I was looking around and I saw all these things that were saying, this is what beautiful looks like. This is what looking good looks like. This is, this is what it means to have significance. And you see, just little messages like that shape us. And so what Paul is trying to get us to understand is everything in our culture is seeking to shape us. Uh, politics is seeking to shape you. Uh, your culture at work is seeking to shape you. Music is seeking to shape you. Everything is seeking to shape you. And some of it aligns with God, but a lot of it doesn't. So it doesn't mean that we don't engage in culture. Rather, what do we do? How do we not be shaped? You need to be transformed more by the word of God. So the way to fight against the pressures of the world shaping you into something God doesn't want you to be is to allow God to continually change you into who he wants you to be from the inside out so that the pressures of God within you are so great that the clown can't shape you That's right. because the pressures of God are in you so great that the only thing that you can be called is one who follows him. So what does it mean to renew your mind? Does this mean if you like memorize a bunch of Bible verses and you read your Bibles and you're very intellectually smart that you'll be transformed by God? No, it can't be that. 
Because some of the people that Jesus rebuked the hardest were the people who had whole chunks of the Bible memorized. So it can't just be information. When he's talking about renewing your mind, it can't just be getting smart. Otherwise, man, we're all in trouble. (laughs) It can't just be information. What he's talking about is communion. Think about it like this. I've been wanting to ride a motorcycle for so long. My wife says I can't because I'll die. But if something were ever to happen to her, I'm getting a motorcycle, okay? Getting a motorcycle. And if I were to say I want to learn how to ride a motorcycle so I could say, everybody, I know how to ride a motorcycle. How do you do that? I don't read an owner's manual and figure it out. And then say, yeah, I know how to ride it. The only way to say you really know how to ride a motorcycle is to actually do it. To familiarize yourself with actually riding the thing. It's communion. It's not just information. And that's what he's talking about here. And Paul gives us a clue because he says in the next word that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And that word testing means this, that you may prove something's worth or value. So if I were to tell you that my mom makes an apple pie that's worth its weight in gold, how would you believe that? By me telling you when she puts it there, it makes my mouth water and like it has little caramel chunks in it and apples and cinnamon. No, that's not enough. Or what if I gave you the recipe and said, look, here's the recipe. It's really worth its weight in gold. No, that's not enough either. The only way for you to believe it, and it's true, is to taste the apple pie, to really take it in. And this is consistent where the whole scriptures, when God says in the, in the Psalms, taste and see that the Lord is good. It's when you, the renewing of your mind is directly linked to the mercies of God in verse 1. When you taste and see and you familiarize yourself in, in communion with the mercies of God, then you will be transformed by him. There's lots of people in churches all over this world who know a lot about God but don't know him at all because they're not tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. There's a way to come into church. There's a way to read your Bibles. There's a way to memorize the entire thing but to miss him because you're not going at communion with him. And that's what he's getting at. It's this communion with God that helps us to be changed by him rather than shaped by the world. It's communion. So what does that communion look like? How do we actually get there? How do we get from point A to point B? Well, I'm gonna give you three things. The first thing is this, is you need to feast on the mercies of God in his word. If you're a single person and you're looking to, if you're a single guy and you're looking to find a wife, and you meet this girl, you don't just get to walk up and say, I've fallen in love with you, you're going to be my wife. (laughs) The only way that you're going to end up falling in love with them is actually listening to them. You have to have conversation. And so many people are like, I just feel so far away from God, but you're never picking up the book to listen to him. We need to pick up the book to listen to. And hey, look, this is, it's, a, it's a complex book. It's a library of books written by a lot of different people over a big span of years and lots of different genres of literature. So there's helps out there so that you can understand your Bibles. Um, if you're like, I want to read the Bible, start in the New Testament and just go from there. 
If you're like, I still want to do more and I want to get into it, I just don't understand, here's what you need to do. You need to buy what's called a study Bible because whenever you're like, I have no clue what that means, you can look down and there's a bunch of really smart people who've summarized what that section means for you (laughs) and it's amazing. There's also this really good thing on YouTube called The Bible Project and they're little short videos um, where you can watch almost uh, something about every book of the Bible and it will explain that book of the Bible for you in visual form. It's very helpful. My point is, don't let you're not being able to understand it stop you from listening to him. Because that's one of the tricks of the world. The world wants you to be all about you and to be lazy. But God is saying, if you're gonna know me, it's gonna take some work. It's gonna take a little bit of work. Okay, so that's the first thing. You had a feast on the verse. Second thing is you need to constantly reflect on the goodness of God. Look at what Paul says in Philippians 4, verse 8. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So Paul says that when he's in prison. And what he's saying to us is, I know there's going to be lots of things in your life beating you down, but the way that you renew your mind is you have an attitude of thanks where you're constantly thanking God for your blessings. I would venture to say that one of the reasons many of us are more shaped by the world than we are by God is because we don't have hearts of gratitude. So that's the second piece. You have to have a heart of gratitude. And then thirdly, you have to show up to public worship. If you want to renew your mind, you have to show up to public worship. Now, here's what I mean by that. What you do on a regular basis will shape you, even if you don't think it is. If you ate a tub of ice cream every night before you went to bed, even if you didn't feel like it's shaping you, it's shaping you, and the whole world can see it. Spiritually speaking, in the same way, if you neglect to participate, In public worship, you are allowing the ways of the world to shape you more than the ways of God. And you're allowing the people of the world to shape you more than the people of God. And it's shaping you whether you feel like it or not. And so um, that latest Pew study was that people, you know, uh, 50 years ago, if you said I was an active member in in church, guess how how many times you went to church a week? Two times a week. You went on Sundays and then particularly for like a Bible study. Now, the latest Pew Research is last year that when people said they're active members of the church, guess how many times a week they go to church? Not even every week. 1.2 times a month. And what that means is, let's say you're even going twice a month. That means 24 times a year you're getting shaped by the people of God and the word of God. But then the other 28 times a year, you're being shaped by the world. And I'm not saying this because as a pastor, like, I need you guys to come to church so I can feel good about myself. I'm saying this because as your shepherd and pastor, I really care about what's shaping your soul. We need to be participating in worship. And listen, when we gather, we plan this whole thing to tell the story of the gospel because it shapes you. When volunteers get here early to get the lights ready and to, you know, to, to set up coffee, That shapes you because what you're saying is God is worth some of my volunteer time so that he can be worshiped. That shapes you. 
In the beginning of service, before everything starts, when people come walking in and they're greeting each other and giving each other hugs and praying for each other and giving each other words of encouragement, that shapes you because it reminds us that God cares about every one of us in here and we're not alone. At the beginning of our services, we do this thing called the call to worship where we all stand and we all kind of like just do this and then we say something about how great God is. That shapes you. Because you're saying, I'm not here to have my eyes on me, I'm here to have my eyes on him. The first song that we sing in every worship gathering is something about God's greatness, and that shapes us. And then after revealing God's greatness, we read his word and then we confess our sins. That shapes us. And then we remind each other that we're forgiven in Christ and that shapes us. And then we take offerings to say this, God has provided for me. I have clothes on my back and there's people who don't. I have a home and there's people who don't. And in fact, everything I have belongs to him. So I'm making an offering to him. And that shapes you. When you hear the word preached to you, that shapes you. When you sing songs of thanks, that shapes you. When we say a creed together, it shapes us. It roots us in what we believe, even when we feel like it's not doing anything at all. So worship, a great worship service, isn't always the one when you're walking out with tears in your eyes. A great worship service is one where you just honored God and heard the love of his people. It shapes us. Amen. So that's the last way we got to do it. It's, it's all of life, you guys. All I am, all I do belongs to you. Now the last thing is the body of worship. How does this get played out? What well, gets played out in the body of Christ, which is the church. Look at verse three. It says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Some of us need to hear that today. <laughs> Probably me. <laughs> But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ. Oh, my yellow water bottle here. Look at that. The body. What Paul is saying in this little piece is he's saying this. As a Christian, you're a member of a body the body of Christ. And because of that, you have a part in God's body. You play a role. But so does everybody else who is a believer in Jesus. And what that means is, is you have to know your role, but you also have to value other people's role. Therefore, do not think of yourself higher than you ought to think. I wonder if Paul is writing this because there were some young, passionate people who were like, man, these oldies, they, they're just kind of stagnant and they don't really believe we have the true passion. And Paul says, no, don't think of yourself higher than you ought to think. I wonder if he's writing to address some of the older saints who are like looking at the young people in the church and be like, those guys are so foolish. They have no idea about life. They don't have any life wisdom. And Paul says, don't think of yourself higher than you ought to think. I wonder if he's writing to address some of the pastors and the preachers who think that they're awesome because they're delivering the words of God, but they're forgetting about the, the people who are silently praying at their homes. He's saying, don't, don't think of yourself higher than you ought to think. We're all one body. And then he says, um, to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And what he's basically saying is, remember where you come from and remember that even the faith you're possessing is a gift from God. The world is trying to get us to size each other up constantly, isn't it? Based on how we look, how we act, even in worship service when you're like, 
I'm praising God, I'm lifting my hands. That person doesn't love Jesus. I'm the one lifting my hands. <laughs> and then the person who's not lifting their hands is like, look at that person trying to show off. I'm so much more holy than that. <laughs> we do this, don't we? We're always sizing each other up. And Paul says, stop. Stop thinking of yourself higher than you ought to think. Instead, remember that even the faith you have, even, even the faith you have, if God's given you an extreme amount of faith, it's because he's given it to you as a gift. That didn't come from you. And if there's somebody here with struggling with weak faith, that little bit of faith, God has given it to them as a gift. And so it sobers us. And we need to remember that we're all a part of the body. So he uses this illustration. For as in one body, we have many members or parts. And the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ. He's like, look at the human body. That's how we are as a church. We're the body of Christ. Every part of the body has a different function. The hand has a function. The eye has a function. The little bones in your ears have function. Everything that you have in your body has a function. It's, it's, it has something that helps the body live and flourish. And so what it means is this, is you cannot thrive on your own. You're a part of a greater body. You're part of a greater body. And he says this, he goes, having gifts that differ according to the grace God has given us, let us use them. And he goes on to list seven gifts. So I'm gonna read them real quick and then we're gonna break them down. He says, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who act, does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So basically what Paul is saying here is this, is if you want to live a life that honors God, you have to be connected to the community and you have to be using the gifts that God has been giving you. Every one of us, God has given gifts for the sake of honoring him in his church. And if you're outside of that and you're not using your gifts, you're really not living a life of worship. And the invitation for you is to come and start using your gifts. So here's a handful of gifts. First, he says prophecy. Prophecy is two things in the Bible. It's first of all, truth-telling, and then it's second of all, forth-telling. So truth-telling, prophets would get up, and these are people that, you know, sometimes we don't like prophets because they're kind of jerks, but they're right. They're like, they're the ones who see what God says and can apply it to the church and to culture and sometimes it cuts us right to the heart. That's prophecy. That's, that's, that's people who have the gift of prophecy. Maybe you have that gift. Maybe you have the ability to understand the scriptures and you see where the church or where people go straight and you can just speak straight to the point. You have the gift of prophecy. Prophecy is also in the Bible the gift of foretelling or sometimes in the New Testament we see God reveals something to certain people for the sake of his church. Like he reveals to the elders in prayer that he wants Paul and Barnabas to go and start churches in Europe, and they do. Or he reveals to Agabus that a great famine is coming so they can collect an offering so that they can support the saints. And there's people in this church where God will sometimes say, this is gonna happen, or this is happening, and even though nobody knows about it, you need to speak up and say, this is what I think I heard from God and a lot of times, if you have the gift of prophecy, it will reveal something that was previously hidden. And so Paul says, don't despise prophecy, but test everything by the word. So there's also false prophets out there. 
There's people who are trying to say, this is gonna happen or this is gonna happen. And the way that we test it is by, it needs to align with what God says. So that's the gift of prophecy. Then he goes on and he says, serving. This is more of a broad category. This means to lay your life down to help other people. There's some people who have the gift of serving. Who just, they walk into a room and they're like, oh, you need some help? Let me help out with that. Oh, you need some help? Let me help out with that. And they just have the gift of serving. Maybe that's you. It's probably not me. I'm like, I'm, I, that's not my natural way of thinking of like, man, I want to come and help. But there's people in our church. Like I think of, uh, uh, there's Kevin McGlivery. He like, McGlivery? sorry, McGlivery. <laughs> I always mess up the last name. I'm sorry, Nicole. There's Kevin. Kevin has the gift of service. Kevin, if Kevin hears that somebody's house needs to be worked on or somebody needs to move, he's always right there to help. That's an example of a gift of service. Sean Moss, if something needs to happen at the church, he's here. Sometimes he's here till one or two in the morning just helping out. That's the gift of service. Our band members have the gift of service because they practice not only on Sundays but throughout the week to make sure that God's people can sing to God. That's the gift of service. So, and then he goes on and he says, then there's teaching. Teaching is the people who, you know, like some people just have a knack at reading the Bible and then being able to explain it. These a lot of times are your community group leaders or like Pastor Gavin has the gift of teaching. He can just read it. And sometimes I'm like, Gavin, I don't know what this says. And he's like, oh, this is what it means. I'm like, awesome. I get it. That's the gift of teaching. And then there's the gift of exhorting. Exhorting is strongly encouraging. So you guys know, I mean, if you're a parent, you know this, right? Sometimes you say something to your kids and they don't listen. You say it again, they don't listen. You say it again, they don't listen. But then somebody else says something to your kids and they listen. Well, in general, the people who have the gift of exhortation are the ones who have the ability to say, hey, I really think you're going astray in this and this is what you need to do and people listen. That's the gift of exhortation. So it's being able to encourage or correct in a way that people respond. Okay, in exhortation. Then he goes into the one who uh, contributes. It costs money for the kingdom to move forward. It costs money for a church to happen. It costs money to plant new churches. It costs money to support the work of preaching the gospel. And some of you just love to be generous. It costs money to care for the poor. And some of you have this gift. And typically the one who have the gift of contributing have the means of contributing. <laughs> How do you know if God has given you the gift to be generous? You probably have a lot of dough. <laughs> it's kind of simple. If God's giving you money, he's probably saying, you have the gift of generosity that you need to use. Um, and listen, we wouldn't be here without the many people who have contributed to the work of the gospel. And these people who are going to get baptized wouldn't be getting baptized today if there wasn't people contributing financially to the work of preaching the gospel. And so it, it's going towards souls. Then he, uh, then he goes into leading. Some of you have the gift of leading. Like you just walk out, you know, as a kid, you would be out on the playground and all the kids wanted to do what you wanted to do. As an adult, you just find yourself in the workplace or in social situations and people are like, you make the call, we're gonna follow you. You have the gift of leading. That's a gift of leading. And then some of you have the gift of acts of mercy, like, you have, in a good way, a bleeding heart for the broken and the downtrodden, those without a voice. Um, like, you really care about those who are hurting and those who need help. And it's important that you 
use your gifts. So this means a couple things for all of us. Number one, it means this, is that you have to, you have to actively be involved in the church using your gifts. You have to act, if you want to thrive in worship, you have to actively be involved in the church using your gifts. Um, there, here's the thing. A body can limp along without a leg, but a leg severed from the body will eventually die. And there is no person severed from the body of Christ who can thrive spiritually. The body can limp along, but a leg severed from the body will die. So it's important for your soul, but it's also important for the body because wouldn't it be better if the body had a leg? And maybe you're the leg. You know, and, and he talks about some of these gifts are gifts that like are visible on the outside, but there's also a lot of internal organs that are not visible to the community that make the body work. And maybe you're a visible leader, maybe you're an internal worker, but both are essential or vital for the sake of the body. So you need to be involved and you need to be using your gifts. How do you find out what your gifts are? Well, you got to get in community and say to the people around you, do you think I'm good at this? I think I'm good at this. And they'll be like, no, you're probably not good at that, but you're really good at this. <laughs> and that's how your gifts start to be identified is in community. Okay. So that's, that's one thing. Um, the second thing is you need to value every member. Um, some of you in this room are called to be preachers. You have to fight the urge to think that you're more godly than the greeters. You have to fight the urge to think that you're closer to God because you deliver his word than the people making coffee for those who are gonna come and receive his word. See what I'm saying? We have to fight this urge. And, there's, and, and listen, doing, using these gifts is not gonna be easy. Notice how Paul says, if you have the gift of acts of mercy, mercy do it with cheerfulness. Why does he say that? Because sometimes it's, you're just like, oh, I really care, but like these people are driving me crazy. <laughs> says, no, do it with cheerfulness. If you have the gift of leadership, do it with zeal because there's gonna be some mornings where you wake up and you're like, I don't wanna lead anybody. I just wanna go back to sleep. <laughs> there's gonna be times when you have the gift of exhorting people and you just get tired of calling people out. It's not easy. And you might be saying to yourself, well, this, this is going to require me to sacrifice. Man, yeah, it will. But isn't that what it means to be, present your bodies to God as a living sacrifice? Think about it like this, and we're, we're going to end it right now. Paul says we're the body of Christ, and here's why that's so crucial to us. God has revealed himself in creation. He's revealed himself in the Bible and his words but how did he most explicitly reveal his character and nature? In the body of Christ. In Jesus coming down and taking on a body so that the whole world could say, aha, now I see that's what God is like. Well, now Jesus has died on the cross. He's resurrected from the grave. He's ascended into heaven. People can no longer see the physical body of Christ. So how can the world see the love of God? Through the body of Christ, the church. We're it. You look around the room, we're like, I'm it? Yeah, you're it. You are it. And when every one of us fulfills our role in the body, God can be known and glorified. Look, if, if it's just one of us, if, if all we have is prophets fulfilling their role, then the people are like, well, God's about truth, but not about mercy. If all we have is people who are servants fulfilling the role, we're like, yeah, God serves, 
But if nobody's being generous, we won't think that God is a generous God. So every person that's using their gifts contributes so that the people of God and the world can know God's goodness and glory. And yeah, it's a sacrifice, but let me ask you this. Where is the love of God shown the most? In the sacrifice of Christ's body. And what that means for us is when we're moved by his sacrifice, and then we're willing to make up, take a sacrifice of our time and our money and our energy, we're willing to pour out our life, it's then that the love of God screams the loudest. So present your bodies as a living sacrifice to God, holy and acceptable to him. That's what Paul's getting at. And we're not always gonna nail it. You're totally gonna fail and so am I. But that's why this whole thing is based on the mercies of God. And even in our failures, we're forgiven, but it's an invitation for us to be a part of the body so the world can know him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we don't have much to say to you but this. All that I am, all that I do belongs to you. And some of us have been living and using our gifts in the body and doing that, and others of us haven't. I pray that you would help us to think with sober judgment And I pray that you would help us to give our life to you because you're totally worth it. But that when we give our life to you, people would see your worth and your value, your worth and your value, and they would give themselves to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.